Well, welcome back once again to Talking With Tech. My name is Lucas Stuber, uh, joined by uh, my friend Rachel Madel. How are you doing, Rachel? I'm really good. How are you guys doing? Really well. How about yourself, uh, Chris Begay? I'm fantastic. I can't wait to hear what we have to go on today. Yeah, th- this is a pretty exciting one. So, um, you know, when we say talking with tech, obviously, there's a, a little bit of a play on words there. I think we SLPs like uh, like to play with words. And, and, and usually what that means is literally talking with technology, right? So we talk about augmentative and alternative communication uh, for people who, you know, maybe lack oral speech for whatever reason. But in this case, we're actually just talking about apps for educational technology, which is fun because there's so many of them. Um, there's a lot of them are a ton of fun and it's one of the fastest growing fields uh, that's out there. I mean, if you look on the, the iTunes app store, um, you know, education is, well, I think actually maybe it's Toka Boca has taken over the world, right? Is that, is that the main one that I see? Toka Boca Uh, has taken over my practice for sure. Yeah. What about Starfall? That's another one that uh, I see all the time where I, if I see stack the States one more time, I'm going to stack myself out a window. But, um, also, also Sego Mini, you guys familiar? Oh yes, uh, yes, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I um, I, I have this policy of of going through and buying the well, not buying, but I, I get like the top ten free education apps every week in the store just to see, because you got to keep up on the trends, right? You got to know what yep. people are referring to, and boy, that makes me hip sometimes. Like, like I know all about Roblox, for example. <laughs> like this is you know, which is like Minecraft ripoff with light, you know. Um, but, uh, you know, the kids love me for it, and I guess that makes me a better clinician. Um, but, I mean, how do we feel about this, right? I mean, there's, there's a lot of issues with um, educational gaming and gaming for children. I mean, one of the ones that's been getting a lot of press recently is the idea of in-app purchases um, for games, right, which have been considered um, predatory in some cases and have even been ruled as gambling uh, in Europe and Australia and certain places. But more specific to our profession, when we have a student who is using a device that's part, you know, maybe is on their IEP as an accommodation for communication or for keyboarding, um, should that device then also have these educational games on them, no matter what the merit is? I am constantly talking to parents and teams about this exact thing um, because iPads are everywhere. Children have access a lot of times to YouTube and their favorite games. So when you put a device in front of them and it's not their favorite game or their favorite YouTube channel, then sometimes there's a lot of behaviors that go along with that. Um, And so one of the ways to remediate that is to use one device only for communication. And, you know, obviously that's a best case scenario. Not everybody can afford to have one iPad for just communication and an iPad for just games, but I really do see a huge difference in the clients that I work with um, having one device. What do you What do you guys think? So I think there's a very, very simple, short answer for this, and that is no. You should not have multiple apps on your communication device necessarily, especially when you're first starting. Uh, there was some controversy a little bit when the iPads were allowed to have a split screen so that you could have one app open and have a second app open. But I think that just impacts the motor planning. So, uh, so often I think it's, you have to have your dedicated communication device and then that's what you use to talk about the thing that you're doing on your other device, right? So Mm -hmm. how do you talk about the video trailer you're watching, the YouTube video you're watching? How do you talk about the game you're playing is that you use your dedicated device to talk about that. So you you really need a, a two device system. And you're exactly right. The, Chris, the moment that you pull up something else on the iPad, you lose all communication. Um, you know, unless you have a user that's able to navigate back and forth, but nine times out of 10, even for the children that I work with who are able to navigate back and forth, they're just so engrossed in what they're doing. They're like, I don't want to talk right now. I just want to like watch YouTube. So like, leave me alone, Rachel. Right, right. Well, a few things on that. So first of all, Chris, it is that it's magical when you have a student that has a communication 
an iPad for communication and an iPad for either education or recreation because it's so cool. It provides so many opportunities for commenting, um, you know, for all this other sort of ancillary com- you know, communication that happens alongside uh, the game. Like I could talk about Minecraft for a really long time with kids. And you Wait, know let's, let's do it. Let's talk yeah. about for that, whatever. Well, just- and you know what? We could talk about Minecraft with core words. Uh, in <laughs> fact, uh, listeners out there, I've actually been contemplating creating a control scheme for Minecraft <laughs> using nothing but core words. And I'm pretty what? sure I could do it. Um, Welcome to the Minecraft show with Rachel and Lucas and Chris. I, I don't <laughs> want to be a part of this me. show. <laughs> I know nothing about Minecraft. I don't want to be grouped into this this Minecraft show. Yeah. Oh, Rachel, you have to because it's up and down and in and you go into the game. It's totally core vocabulary. Just like All right, that. fine. All these classic core words like creeper and squid. <laughs> uh, so... Uh, <laughs> Now, another thing that you brought up is the, um, I, I agree with you on the, the split screen piece, but I will say that um, on, from the recreation or educational side, I use that quite a bit, especially like I really like the app time timer, right? So if somebody say earns a break on not their communication iPad, but the other iPad, then that's a good way for them to keep track. Um, but all that being said, the ultimate weapon, in my opinion, uh, where, you know, Rachel, you just said that maybe the student doesn't want to discontinue a preferred activity, which is the polite way of saying, give me back my movie, um, is guided access with a timer. And yep. boy, I love that. And one thing I love about it is it takes the agency away from me, right? So I'm not wrestling the iPad away. The iPad itself decided to stop playing that movie. And um, for whatever reason, that makes a big difference. It makes a huge difference. I actually made it a YouTube video on this exact issue because all these parents were like, you know, they're so good about the iPad with you, Rachel. Like you pull out their favorite game and then they just like, they stop playing it and they put the iPad away like we can't get the same level of you know compliance and I'm like listen it's called guided access there's a timer function you know the iPad shuts down and there's nothing they can do about it I'm like oh no the iPad shut down oh I'm so sorry it's time to go <laughs> oh I thought that was because you're just not as cool as 12 year old Lucas so when it <laughs> you, when you seem interested they're not interested anymore you know <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, but yeah that's 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 a huge tool in our arsenal and I'm really happy that um I think it was as recently as iOS six or seven that they actually added guided access. And to think about how much we use that now. Um, and we could do a whole episode and I don't know, Rachel, you've made videos about how to do that. There's all kinds of little tricks. Like when you turn on guided access, using your finger to circle certain parts of the screen that can't be accessed mm-hmm. anymore. Um, you know, some really neat things, but the bigger question at play here is this concept of the communication device. Um, now, before we started recording, one distinction I wanted to make was between uh, an iPad that's uh, used only for communication and the concept of a dedicated device. Um, what is the difference? Well, I think a dedicated device is for communication. So it's dedicated. That's what the dedicated adjective means in that regard, is that it is dedicated to be my voice, my language system, my way of communicating, my expressive language, uh, where uh, the other iPad would be to do everything else. So that's interesting because this, that actually is a slightly different interpretation than what I've heard. So listeners, if if you have a thought on this, shoot us an email, tech at speechscience.org. Um, we, we'd love to hear your thoughts or of course, search for us on Facebook. If you look for talking with tech, we've got the, the group there. We'd, we'd love to hear your, um, your thoughts. But what I've always heard a dedicated device referred to is the old accent or the VMAX or the, you know, the, the, the dedicated big brick device that literally cannot be used for anything other than communication because it doesn't have the capacity to be, you know, whereas an iPad, ostensibly, yeah, you can get out of that app, you know, or get out of guided access and, and get into the rest of the stuff. Um, but the more I have this conversation with you guys now, I, I don't really know a better term. Yeah, well, I think that it's just now with the iPad being so pervasive, we can create dedicated devices with an iPad. Okay. All right. I, I see the point. One point to Chris, one minus point to Rachel for not knowing Minecraft. You lose. <laughs> hey. I win. <laughs> how did this how did this happen I'm no kidding. wait a second i'll give you a point for the guided access timer bit that yeah was awesome. okay all right that was good <laughs> thank you appreciate it so so here here's a wrench and i can think of one situation in which i have done this but when if ever would it be appropriate to allow someone outside of their dedicated device 
Um, I think maybe using email or some other function that is communication related that just floated into my mind. No, good. That's exactly one of the ones I was thinking of is to access communication via some other modality. Like a lot of apps now have the ability to push out, you know, it, just like Apple sharing, like to SMS or, mm-hmm. or to email app. Um, now go ahead, Chris. I was going to say, I think at that point, though, you were talking about someone who is a skilled user, you know, there's a, there's a, some sort of threshold they crossed where they have, uh, you know, they're like advanced in that, at least the, most of the people that I'm working with, they're just learning how to use a communication device. You know, most of the teachers that I'm working with are just learning to teach students how to use a communication device. So it's so ultra rare that I would find that we would uh, use it for some other function. Like even, like I thought, as you were asking that question, I was thinking, well, maybe like taking pictures of my environment so I could talk about the stuff that I did this weekend so you'd know that I went to the library and like, nope, nope, I think I'd still use a second device rather other than, than taking pictures, you know? So yeah, uh, okay. it's so rare. I see what you're saying. So so the, the other two that I, I was thinking of, and I think you pretty much hit them both, but w- one is a conversation that I just had today about the grid three specifically in relation to home automation for like adults with ALS and things like that, that it'll communicate to these sort of smart systems for lights and, and that sort of thing. So that's, that's pretty, like you say, that's pretty esoteric. That's a pretty high level um, application. But another one that I've done before actually was for um, activities of daily living with a, a very medically fragile student using an eye gaze system where I was able to have the system call out uh, a YouTube video in a pop-up window that then would close if she oriented away from it. And at the time it was quite a debate. It was, should we be doing this, you know, or should we be having her request the video and then carting over and I, uh, you know, another, another system to show it to her. Um, in this case, I stand by the decision. I think that I, I valued her autonomy in making those decisions around ADLs more than, you know, the, the communicative function of the device. Do you, do you think I was right doing that? Yeah, it's her choice, right? I mean, yeah. totally. If if the it's totally about making it student centered or person centered, so that if they can make the choices on their own, then yes, totally. It's up to you, man. Right? It's yours. It's your way of communicating. So I think it definitely falls on them. I actually had a. I posted the video that we made for guided access on one of the Facebook groups. I think it was like speech, speech pathologists at large. It was a really one of the really big ones, and. Someone had a very, it was very uh, strong response in against guided access, um, saying that really children should be able to listen to parents or teachers, you know, when they're they're given the command, you know, you have to stop watching in five minutes, or you know, give me the iPad or whatever it is, and we shouldn't be relying on technologies like guided access. Um, so it was it was crazy because it, it went like I think it was like fifty comments, like everybody was like combating back and forth. Um, but I thought that was interesting. So go back and read it. Are you sure that wasn't me? <laughs> uh, now the, the reason I say that is because so often I feel like we do jump to guided access without teaching a student why to use it. You know what I mean? Um, so I, I often use this, this analogy of what's least restrictive. And, and so, um, you, right, how, sure. do, how do the students learn to um, behavior regulation unless they have opportunities to do that? Now, maybe guided access is not the place to teach it. You know, maybe their communication device is not the way. There's plenty of other times to learn behavior regula- regulation. But I do think that there's, a, there's something to that uh, that maybe we start with, okay, we're going to keep it unlocked. And every time you start uh, you navigate away from it and you don't follow the direction, that's an onus to start to, maybe I do have to turn on guided access and then turn on the the, uh, the feature where it times out in a certain time. But sometimes I think we should start without guided access and then prove that you need to use it. Does that make sense? I, com- I completely agree. And I also think you brought up an excellent point, Chris, in that we need to explain the rationale to children why we're doing the things that we're doing. You know what I mean? And even if, you know, we don't think that they necessarily understand, I still think that it's a conversation worth having. Um, We're just so quick to, and, and, and this, we could have a whole nother conversation about operational competence and using, being able to operate my device and turn it on and charge it and all these other things. Um, But I think we're just so quick to jump in and kind of manhandle these devices um, without explaining to kids why we're doing what we're doing. Yeah. 
No, that's this is good. I'm I'm gonna we're, since we're awarding points today, I'm gonna give a point to Gryffindor here, uh, Chris, because that was that was that was a very good point. And and I, I'm reflecting on this because one thing I harp on and I teach and I've written about all the time is that if if you take away, for example, a student's device to do some programming or to make an alteration, you ask permission. Right. And you tell them what you're doing, whether or not they know what that means. Like you always ask permission because that is their property and you want to reinforce that over time. Um, And when we talk about least restrictive environment, I think people tend to go to the idea of physical autonomy or physical seclusion. But there is also this element of sort of communicative or cognitive seclusion um, that, you know, I guess I was just making a case for and now I'm, I'm regretting it. So that's what these podcasts are for, right? Get shot us, shoot us an email, tech at speechscience.org. I want to hear what you guys um, have to say, because this is a, this is a train of thought that I hadn't gone down before. And I know for a fact that guided access and the practices that we're talking about right now are, are widespread in the schools, certainly. Yeah, it's not a question of whether you use it or not. It's where you start. Do you start by turning on guided access or do you start by not and then moving to turn it on because the student has shown you that they need to? And I think I'd love to hear what people's opinions on where they start and why they do that, do it the way they do it. And I actually have a child that I work with who I do that exact thing. So I have like a board and if he... I. I put an X on it every time he escapes a vase, which is the pro, uh, the program that he uses. And when he gets Yay, to five, I'm like, yeah, yeah, vase. Um, but when he gets to five X's, I'm like, all right, guided access, my man. I'm sorry. Like, we can't watch YouTube right now. And like, yeah. that's how I handle it. Um, yeah, but he always starts with an opportunity to not have it on. Yeah, Rachel, you're teaching him, right? You're teaching him. That's a teaching strategy. That's awesome. She wins. She's the. She, I like, won. <laughs> well, we already said Gryffindor. I don't. I don't really see you as like a like a Hufflepuff or a. <laughs> like, I, don't, I don't know. You can both. You can both be Gryffindor. We'll just have I'll, to. I'll, do be, a I'll type. be Slytherin over here. Slytherin or Slytherin. Oh, I'm gonna be. <laughs> we'll have to do a tiebreaker after after the break. <laughs> Well, today, so I, I'm really excited about today's interview. So we have Jane Clare on um, from Teachers with Apps, uh, who has an amazing blog uh, where she is just incredibly prolific, uh, reviewing um, all these different apps and, and pieces of software that are can be used in the classroom. Um, she has a, a really well thought out rubric by which she um, evaluates them, and it, this was a really informative conversation for us. Um, so I want to jump into it in a second, but before I do. Um, is there anything you guys have been liking recently? Uh, educational apps you've used with your students or something you've downloaded that you were impressed by? Okay, yeah, totally. So you know what I've been playing with lately are um, any sort of uh, avatar making app where you like get a face and you you know put the eyes on it and put the nose and the mouth and it's so much in- engaging for students and it's so great like for, for teaching certain core, core vocabulary like on and happy and smile and emotions, you know? So that's anything like that has been um awesome like just yesterday we were playing with one emoji me it's kind of like bitmoji but it's just a you know a knockoff of bitmoji where it's exactly that you know you can create a face it's cool that's cool that reminds me of the of, uh, you know for the 10 people in the world that bought an iphone x the emojis <laughs> that they came out with uh which which i've used a little bit with students that's that's always pretty fun um you know the one that I that I like that's free that just came out on on iOS and Android is is called Google Primer. Google Google actually put this out and it's just called Primer, like P R I M E R. And um, the tagline is "Learn new skills fast." And so all it is is little five minute exercises for adults um, that teach you about uh, business, marketing, networking. You know, so the sort of stuff that I have to force myself how to learn. <laughs> All right. Well, um, without taking too much more time, uh, let's get to it. Um, I'm excited to introduce to you, uh, Ms. Jane Clare. Well, welcome back to Talking With Tech. My name is Lucas Stuber, joined as always by my colleague, Rachel Madel. How are you? Great. And today we're super excited to be joined by Ms. Jane Clare of Teachers With Apps. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited about it. I'm thrilled you joined us because, uh, as, as of course, I think you know, there's a whole glut of sites out there that do reviews of, of educational apps uh, that may, may or may not have um, as much trustworthiness as uh, what you've done in terms of transparency and accountability and advertising and these other things. But I guess uh, just a place to start is um, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and why you've done what you've done. Sure. I 
never thought I'd be a teacher for very long. I thought I'd teach a little bit, get it out of my system and decide what I wanted to be when I grew up. Well, 30 years later, still teaching special ed. <laughs> and I loved what I did. I got my second master's in technology because I'd always want to do some sort of scavenger hunt type of thing, maybe for the smart board or something like that. Wow. And in 09, I started with um, a partner, Ann Rachel. She was a great artist and a preschool teacher. And we started putting this program together for reading readiness. And it was something that I had been using in my class. It seemed to really work where the child was learning the letter, the letter ID, the letter sound and something that was associated that such as a, a apple doing this in the summer. I'm still teaching my son's home from college. A friend walks by and he goes, what are you doing? I said, well, we're making a computer program. He goes, why don't you make an app? I said, what's that? So nine, I didn't even have a smartphone. That's great. I, did, I, ha- I had a phone, but not whatever. Uh, so we said, okay, he showed us what an app was and we morphed into 09 making our first app, which was a reading readiness app. We were really uh, challenged by working with the developers themselves because we had specific criteria for how things looked, sounded. And we also went to the extent where um, even if a movement such as uh, R was for rain, we'd make sure that it would be coming down when the rain dropped with the animation. Okay, so fast forward, we tried a few other apps and uh, didn't really have competition. It was 09. Cookie Doodle was really the uh, number one month after month after month. And you make a cookie, eat it, and that was the extent of it. So we thought, oh, well, we got what was called ABC Shakedown on the iPhone. We said, golden. I mean, I just couldn't believe it was exactly what I wanted. And I thought it was going to be such a great tool. And we very quickly learned not that easy. Uh, Yeah, I know. It's deceptively (laughs) easy. Well, in the time you're talking about, too, this is all before, you know, stack the states and some of these other things that have consistently topped the charts, right? Right. This is is pre-iPad, and this is really early on. Um, I got panned by Warren Buckleitner from um, Children's Technology Review. I remember talking to him on the phone in my classroom and being just devastated because he said he didn't like some of our pictures, our illustrations. I'm like, well, the I is for itch because we want the child to touch their arm and say, uh, eh, eh. I'm very good friends with him now. So that's why I'm, uh, that's why I'm, <laughs> that's why I'm uh, allowed to say that. But um, we didn't have any experience in marketing. We had no experience even in defending ourselves when, when people would say, why, you know, what's this all about? So we, we kind of got our feelings hurt and didn't, didn't move forward. And in retrospect, I'm so glad that I'm not in the app market. And that we did not have a success there because I have seen it change so drastically. Um, it's it's just um, been a fun journey. We morphed into teachers with apps. We said someone needs to be curating and finding the best and writing about them for teachers, parents, uh, anyone in the digital space that was interested in finding the content, the great content on their devices. That's great. So that was right around uh, 10 that we started that. Well, and so you're speaking, you know, I I can parse out at least three different challenges, right? And one of them is the challenge of being a developer in this field where you may or may not get, you know, unwelcome criticism or, or constructive criticism. And, you know, of course, there's always things I think anyone can do better in this area. But, um, you know, but also the, the relative proliferation of apps in education um, and your need really to, to curate that. Um, to a large extent. Uh, and I, I don't know, I, uh, do you work at all in the Android market or is it iOS? Um, we, we do because we have a number of teachers uh, spread out throughout the different areas, such as we have a speech pathologist and an occupational therapist and a math and an English uh, ESL. So yes, we do do some Android now because for a while it wasn't worth it, but now it's caught up. And so is Google Play. Great. Well, and how do you approach the, I, I guess, 
you know, again, that curation piece, like how do you decide what to review and what, what not to, uh, are, are you brought things by developers or are you constantly scouting? Well, basically because we do a thorough review, we field test all apps with children and teachers and we write our review with that in mind we don't just cut and paste from itunes and and give it a a star or or however many stars we spend the time and if the first few minutes we find it's really lacking some key components, then we write to the developer and say, we're sorry, but at this time, we'd make a few suggestions that we cannot um, be reviewing your app. And then the ones that were great, we thoroughly uh, took out into the field and learned inside and out. And it was really the kids that would show us what the app was about. You don't know the magic of an app until you hand the device to the child. I have a very similar experience. I would do a lot of stuff with technology with my kids and they're they're teaching me how to use these apps. And I think that's a mark of a good app is that, you know, you can pick it up. It's intuitive. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think the kids in school today should be teaching the teachers the tech. <laughs> yes. Yep. <laughs> We actually, we had a student in my private practice that uh, he created his own iOS app, uh, you know, with a little bit of help. But I mean, and I think if I recall correctly, all it did was give a, a quote of the day um, from time to time. But still, that I mean, that's great. You know, it just shows, you know, this was a student that had a uh, diagnosis of being on the, on the spectrum and he brought that thing out in hours. So, so uh, okay, so you have a pretty broad mandate in terms of what you review. You said you have a speech language pathologist on staff. Do you go so far as into things like augmentative and alternative communication or is this? Oh, absolutely. Right. Absolutely. We've had okay. this. We'd have to, we've had to change with the times because if we didn't, we, we would be nowhere. Uh, we also got super excited when things came along. And I usually go to the toy fair. So when things started coming out, such as Tigley and Marbotic, where the, child, the children had manipulatives back in their hands that interacted with the screen, as a special ed teacher myself, I was so excited that we had something for the child besides just screen time. And we really went um, pretty hog wild on, on that and spent a lot of time with uh, a number of those companies. We were uh, delighted to be working with them and promoting their products. That's that's such a small world. That's funny. I I, I worked as a consultant for Tigley and then for Osmo, if you recall that one. Yeah. Uh, and then also for for Smart Panda, which is a, a little bit more recent. Smart um, Panda. Yeah. I I not to not to plug. I'm not being paid by Smart Panda to any okay, listeners, okay. but um, it's a oh you know what? And after all that, I messed it up. Um, did some work for Square Panda. Um, okay, so did I, interestingly enough. How funny. Yeah, I got to meet uh, LeVar Burton through that. It was pretty neat yeah. reading Rainbow. Um, but uh, anyway, I, I, I mean, part of it, part of what's been tragic for me is as I go to the different industry conferences year and year, it seems like a lot of familiar faces will disappear. You know, I mean, what do you think is going on for small developers in the app market? Is it feasible anymore? Well, from what I've been seeing, your, your average educational app developer cannot quit their day job. And even if they get quite popular and quite big, they are not having the revenue when you're selling an app for 99 cents, $1.99. That just does not add up, especially the cost in development is extremely high. Uh, seeing, lo seeing lots of mergers like uh, Spin Master took over Tokoboka and Sago Sago. Oh, I didn't know that. Wow. I yeah. Didn't either. And uh, fingerprint. I don't know if you're familiar with fingerprint. Mm -mm. Um, they're they're based out of uh, San Francisco, and they went to the Android platform as well and started buying people's apps that they would be using so that the app would be loaded. And some of my favorite apps went to Ansel and Claire, so they were no longer um, run by the developer themselves. Oh, and um, what's the other one? This was uh, the very, very early on. The um, And she ended up working for Khan Academy. They ended up taking her app 
I will think of it, but it's the Itsy Bitsy Spider. It was musical. Uh, I'll think of it. I'll bring that back. But yeah, there's a lot of mergers going on. Or what I'm finding is constantly updating my site because people are going out of business and I have to take off their review because they're no lo- longer in existence. It's not available on the, on the market, right. right? Sure. Well, and that, that leads me to another big question I've wondered is, is and you know, I, not with, to pry too deep into your own business model, but um, in our own experience with affiliate sales for iTunes, it's, it's really not viable in terms of uh, making a living you know, or maintaining a team. Um, do you think that's a, a, am I wrong in thinking that? Is it better with higher priced apps? Um, or are there, I guess, uh, you know, other ways to, to do this? Well, uh, I think it's changed dramatically in the sense that first it was Apple and, and they were everything. And you didn't know if you sold something to a school or, or a fa- another type of facility, you couldn't get credit for that. Uh, you... Uh, really struggled with um, not only selling your apps, but a quote from Warren Buckleitner would be, if you think it's hard making money from apps, try making a living writing about apps. (laughs) Yeah. um, The subscription base is super popular now, and that I think is great. Uh, I think that's really taking over. And now that most big developers have it on all platforms, even for even for Chromebooks, I think that's really made uh, everything a lot more accessible. You know, you said you worked a lot in special education. How do you feel about the subscription models or even in-app purchases when you know when SPED students are involved? Well, I think the subscription models are working for schools. But it is very difficult to get your foot into the school. And I find that most app developers, that is their biggest goal right now, is to find some way to get into the schools and make it happen that way with the subscription model. Right. Do you think that the subscription model kind of puts a lot of pressure on these companies to kind of keep updating and keep creating, you know, new stuff? Of course you have to keep updating and adding new stuff, but what a number of them have done is you buy different components, just like the in-app purchase. So a school may choose to buy uh, like four different, I'm trying to think of um, one in particular, and I don't want to give them a shout out, but Nearpod, who I think is really doing a great job, you can pick and choose what you're buying from different categories. And they have makers from all over. And I think that they're, they're finding that works. And I see that in other subscription models as well, that you, you're not paying for the whole thing. It's an additional if you want this. It's, it's sort of like an a la carte kind of mm-hmm. uh, style. So I see that working. I also, I would love your thoughts on what makes a great app. <laughs> okay. Well, first, the child needs to drive the app. Yeah, and I love that. The, the child also is very intuitive and does not need a lot of direction. Too many developers have a hard time putting themselves in the shoes of a three-year-old or a (laughs) six-year-old. And you don't need a lot of text. You you just need subtle hints. And I think the subtle hints work much better than anything. I also feel very strongly that if it's a great app, it's going to have intrinsic motivation for the child. And it's going to compel them to keep playing. And too many app developers put in an abundance of bells and whistles for rewards that aren't necessary and actually can detract from the content itself, slow down the child. Of course, content is always king. So yes, you you need to have that. And many, many apps are are not made by educators. They're made by either a company or um, a small mom and mom and pop kind of a thing. So I think that you really need to have an educator involved in making an app, at least for the beta testing. 
to get some feedback from them. Yeah, that's a great point too, because if you if you were to draw the Venn diagram of people that work in education and people that have computer science or engineering degrees, you know, it's like the overlap is like, bloop, there's, there's, you know, very little there. And so I think what I've seen happen is we have large companies that'll push into our space without any real clear knowledge of what's needed by educators. But then I'll talk to educators and they'll have some brilliant idea, um, you know, with no, no idea how to execute it. Which is which is too bad, and maybe that's something that'll that'll change over time. But I, I do think that there's an argument. As much as I agree with you that we need more small development in the education space, I also wonder to what extent, like how, other than sites like yours, how are parents even finding, um, you know, educators even finding the new apps? Sadly enough, I find most educators are not experienced with apps, and they're not using them at all. I recently visited a public school and went in with the Curioscope t-shirt, which is an AR augmented reality that the child puts on the t-shirt and then the app opens and then all of a sudden you've got the anatomy. Mm-hmm. So it's a free app because I was giving the teacher the t-shirt. I said, you can download the free app. Let me put it on your iPad. And he goes, how do you do that? I said, well, just log into your iTunes. He goes, I, I don't do that. <laughs> Right. Which seems crazy to hear in 2017. Yeah. <laughs> I was checking on a school recently and um, I, I asked a, an SLP where she had, where her district iPad was. And she said, oh, you mean that big camera they gave me? Yes. yes. <laughs> I was like, ah. It's a big camera. <laughs> um, you know, now Rachel actually, you, you know, has a background in, in AR development. So it's funny that you brought that up or augmented reality. It, do you feel like it's been hard, Rachel, to sort of communicate to people what it is that that, that is exactly? Well, absolutely. I mean, especially with these new technologies like augmented reality, virtual reality, um, you know, people can't even kind of wrap their heads around it. And that's why I always tell people like, you have to see it, you know, there's videos out there. Um, So it's just, it's interesting because I think that, you know, and we talk about this a lot, Lucas, there's a lot of um, early adopters when it comes to technology, but there's, I feel like a lot more uh, late adopters and people you kind of have to convince that, you know, technology is not you know, overwhelming and scary, you know, just try it out, see how it works. Um, And actually, I'm interested, Jane, to hear your take on, you know, AR, VR, and how they're kind of changing the game as far as um, education apps. Well, from what I've seen, there's been some, some, not a lot, but some great products come along that realize that it's a tool and you may use it to reinforce and enhance the lesson, but not necessarily be the focus of. And I, I think that the companies that are doing that are having a lot more success than if they're just full-blown uh, trying to just be fancy with the tech. That's really right. not what we need in education. And I just wanted to say this, in order to succeed in education and to really make a difference and change education from where it is now, I think we all need to work together. And, and that goes back to a theme that I harp on for, you know, th- those of you who have listened to this for a while about the, the need for open source uh, solutions as well, you know, and then especially as we move towards a situation where, you know, p- potentially Chromebooks are now becoming the, you know, the dominant market share in the schools, um, you know, it is possible to develop for, for multiple things at once. Um, and, and I, and I, I agree too that, um, you know, we shouldn't, we shouldn't be using the, the flashy techie thing just because it's flashy and techie, right? Even though exactly. people like me tend to get excited, but you know, if we're using, if I think there is something to be said for using a, a modality that's already inherently engaging to the student, right? You know, I think it's a lot more fun. I think to, you know, to to do exercises on an iPad rather than filling out like a closed worksheet or whatever it might be. Oh, absolutely, um, absolutely. Um, what are you most excited for uh, moving forward in the industry? Is there anything you're you're super, uh, you know, looking forward to? Well, I think the possibility of being an app broker, which was impossible in the beginning because of the way the uh, iTunes store was set up. I'm really excited about possibly starting something new and having five or six products that I would call exemplary and starting to do some, some professional development. It's much needed and for a very long time, I didn't want to do it because teachers are your worst audience. 
that, that's the whole mandate of this podcast is, uh, you know, I, I was told some time ago that uh, an edu- by an educator that they were afraid to seek uh, continuing education in technology because they thought that they would lose their job by admitting that they don't know about it. And that, that terrifies me, right? So we do this podcast at least partially to provide sort of covert continuing education um, for those folks. But when you say worst enemy, do you mean in terms that they are resistant? Well, what happens is, at this point in time, since the Common Core came along, teachers have been inundated with changes and new programs and new regimes, and they've had so many things put on their plate and nothing taken away that I understand why they're, they're not a great audience, because here you are trying to sell them just one more thing to add to their full plate. And that's very difficult. So I understand that completely. It's just we really need to start looking at the whole child again and get away from this uh, overkill on assessment, working in the classroom all year long to take one silly standardized test, which really isn't going to give you a good overview. I'd like to see teachers get the respect they deserve again, because I think in the last few years, they've, they've really been given a bad rap. Yeah. Jane, what are some ways for, you know, speech therapists and teachers that are listening to this podcast right now, what are some ways that they can kind of start becoming more comfortable with implementing technology or trying out? Well, one thing is trying it themselves. It's always been said, you're not going to go into a classroom cold and read a book to a child. You're going to read the book first before you do that. So I would say they should be looking at some of this on their own and playing with it, but not, you know, not expecting that they're going to have it all. But I think they just need to get their feet wet and not be scared. It's here to stay. (laughs) Yep, exactly. And I always kind of try to impress upon teachers and other practitioners that there's no wrong way to kind of explore. And I feel like we have this idea that has to be exactly what was intended by the app developer. We have to do it in this perfect way. And we don't, you know, it's, it's evolving and apps that I've used for years, I'm still kind of evolving in the way that I'm using them and how I'm targeting specific words and activities and things like that. So I just think it's, it's right. The teacher, the teachable moments that when something comes up, you've got to say, Oh, and take advantage of that. Exactly. Yep. Well, and then along those lines too, and I'm thinking specifically of, you know, I know so many people that are speech language pathologists like us that use Tokoboka apps as, you know, ways to teach cause and effect and Mm -hmm. social reciprocity and these other things, but there's not accompanying curriculum for that, right? Do you feel like it's, it's one burden of the developers to furnish those sorts of things, at least in explicitly educational apps? Well, there is something now called Castle, C-A-S-E-L. I don't know if you're aware of that. Um, no, I'm, here we go. I'm learning. This is perfect. Okay. Well, it is a laundry list of social and emotional goals. And for me, as a special ed teacher, that's where you start. You start with the, the whole child. You can't teach a hungry child. You can't teach a child who feels bad about themselves. So obviously, the social and emotional piece is not something new. Everybody's talking about mindset and SEL and as a special ed teacher, we have always made sure that we worked on that component. Uh, so I think it's coming around. I'm actually doing some work right now with a company. I'm doing the consulting for they're getting out of the more edutainment into the more ed- educational um, sector. And they've hired me to help them. And we're having a conference call tomorrow for me to explain to them exactly what social and emotional is and how we can incorporate that right within the context of what you're doing. It's not something separate. Right. It, it needs to be built in and just part, part of what you're doing. I want to make sure that if so people want to find you, where can they do that? Teachers.com. And I wanted to be able to say this is that we're always getting new interns and a lot of them are college students. I would love if anyone wants to get involved. That's a great way to learn. And you can contact me very easily at jane at teachers with apps.com. And 
we have a lot of guest contributors and we have a lot of, oh, I can't, I can't do this all the time, but I'd love to do it once a month. So I would just say that uh, a shout out to your listeners that get involved. And if it's not with me, then get involved with something else. Well, I think that's a really great opportunity because you kind of get to see the landscape, which is what I love about your site is that you know, as a, as a therapist, I can kind of see what's going on. I don't, I have one place where I can just, I can go and know that it's reputable. Um, you know, you guys are reviewing the the best of the best and that's really nice. So as a, you know, a potential intern or someone kind of working with you guys or contributor, it would be great because you would kind of get the landscape of what's out there. Right. Right. And we, we love having, uh, teachers, of any kind. I, I actually had one speech pathologist aide who wrote for years and she was excellent. It didn't matter that she was an aide and not a, not, not a certified. No, sure. Some of our best authors have been, you know, grad students or that type. Sure. Exactly. Or, or, or the assistants because they're, they're in the, uh, field. They, they know because they're there every day. Exactly. They have that, that implementation piece. They know, right. you know, what, what is going on and what the need is. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. And then also, you know, building up your visibility in terms of, you know, actual contributions you made to the field. I think we all know how uh, competitive it is to get, you know, certainly into speech pathology, but also special education, these things, you know, it's a good way to give yourself a leg up. Oh, um, absolutely. Or it's a good way to keep your job because things are changing and we're going to need a lot more teachers in the future and if you have a second language or you have technology I think that that's going to really help you in your job search. Absolutely. It's, it's here to stay. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. There'll always be, that's, there always need to be teachers, whether or not we, we pay them is a, is another question, but we're working on it. So exactly. Um, exactly. Well, there's one question we always have to ask at the, uh, the end of an interview, which is what is your most favorite recent app, uh, education or otherwise? Just recently, Dr. Panda. That's yeah, why I, asked, I like Dr. That's, Panda. That's why I I um asked before when you had said Smart Panda because I've been doing some work with Dr. Panda and they just came out with a playset that has augmented reality and manipulatives and it's super fun but it's got all the educational components built right in. So right now, um, and oh, I have to say this: I did not view it, Joe Booth our occupational therapist did review that app. So I don't want to take credit for reviewing it, but uh, I think it's a great product and uh, great for preschools. And I just love the fact that more and more we have something to go along with the screen. Yeah. Yeah. I, it, Cause it promotes engagement, right. And connection. It's not just a child sitting in front of a screen. It's now interactive, which is as it, a language pathologist, that's what I love. Right. Right. And believe it or not, sometimes the kids get more excited about the manipulatives in the screen because that's so commonplace. But you pull out Marbotic with the alphabet and they're like thrilled and they start playing with the with the alphabet letters. So, yeah. Well, yeah. Google, I mean, even some of the big video games coming out right now, totally outside of education, they've got the little manipulatives and these things. So, Oh, exactly. And the robots. I Actually, we didn't talk about that at all. We'll have to do that another time because that's a, a very big piece of what's happening is um, the coding. The coding is huge. Yep. Yep. On that subject. Yep. Well, and, and I, for my part, even I'll use robots like the Sphero or the Wonder Workshop for um, students that are otherwise confined to a wheelchair because they don't get the chance. To, I mean, how often does a 17 year old with Rett syndrome get to slam the door on her parents, right? You know? <laughs> but if I have peers set up a little Minecraft city for her and then she can wreck it with a robot, you know, it gets, it gets a little bit of that, you know, that emotion out. So yeah. And then they're vested know. in their learning. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, one final thing that came up and I, I hate to bring it up after we already were winding down, but I, you know, I, I constantly get pushed back from, uh, from parents and for educators around screen time in education. Um, how, how do you feel about that? Well, here's what, what I'd like to say is that if you are the parent, you are in charge and you can go into the device and you can set controls. You can also be very involved with the content that is on the devices and you need to say no at some point or ha or have some sort of digital citizenship agreement with your child and you need to be involved because I've seen people 
uh, parent, I've seen people at conferences raising their hand saying, I don't know how to get my child off Minecraft. I'm like, you are the parent. Yeah. Yep. Well, uh, thanks so much for your time. Uh, I'm, I'm so glad to have you here. Jane Quare from Teachers with Apps. Um, if you'd like more information about her or her site, of course, you can visit, visit teacherswithapps.com. You can also always go to tech.speechscience.org. But thanks once again for joining us. Uh, this has been a great experience. I think it's really going to help a lot of our listeners. And uh, I look forward to communicating with you again in the future. My pleasure. Thanks so much. I enjoyed it. Well, welcome back uh, once again to Talking With Tech. This is Lucas Stuber, joined by Rachel Madel and Chris Begay. Um, I thought that was a, a great conversation. I, I learned a lot, a lot about a lot of apps, and I, I thought I knew about a lot of apps. So uh, eye-opening for me. What do you guys think? Yeah, I just, I mean, I love Jean. She's fantastic, and her website's very thorough and such a great resource. One of the worst things about apps is they're constantly coming out with new ones, and it's so hard to stay like on top of what's new and what's great. She takes out all the legwork for you. I, yeah, I totally love the idea that there's a place you can review apps so you don't have to do it all on your own. That there's, Some people have already done the work for you, like Rachel said. It's right. the best. Well, we want to hear what you think. So track us down on Facebook. Uh, play, put a post in the group. Tell us what, what apps you've been using, what apps you like, um, maybe some apps that you're critical of. We'd love to have a conversation um, uh, you know, about that. Uh, share that knowledge with the group. Um, also, please go to tech.speechscience.org, and we'll have a link to Jane's website, um, as well as some links out to, to some of the specific things that we discussed um, in terms of tools that, that you know that you can use with your students or for yourself. Um, and as far as a winner, I would say that uh, both Rachel and Chris uh, won for putting up with me today. Um, <laughs> that that's 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 the winner. I think I'm at like negative three, but if you're neg- if you're at negative three, I think that means Slytherin wins, right? Isn't that the <laughs> the, the rule or no no if, if that's right if Slytherin is winning then then um uh Dumbledore shows up and makes sure that Gryffindor wins um I need to I know what I'm doing this weekend I'm gonna rewatch Harry Potter so I can yeah. stay up to, to stay speak. up to speed yes. yeah sad thing is I actually just rewatched them when I was working I'm one of those people that works with the tv on in the background and um because of that I have no idea what happened in the movies but um <laughs> Anyway, um, one last favor we'd ask of you guys, uh, you know, we, we put a lot of uh, time and heart and soul into trying to share this information um, with you guys. Uh, you notice we really don't do a lot of advertising. Uh, we, we, we make most of our money, uh, what, what, what little of it we do uh, through, through Patreon, uh, which I, I encourage you to check out, patreon.speechscience.org. It's just like a, uh, a public radio type model. You can give us a dollar, you can give us $5, whatever works for your budget. Uh, but what would be really helpful is if you go to iTunes and um, give us a, a rating and a review because that'll help more people to find us and we know for a fact that people are out there looking for training content on augmentative communication and educational technology and um, the more uh, the more people see us the the, the better we look um, you know the, the more likely they are to listen so uh, with that said uh, you know we appreciate every moment that we have with you guys and we look forward to talking to you next week expecto patronum Ha, ha, ha.